Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of This Week in AML. I'm John Byrne, Chair of the AMLRS Advisory Board. And I'm Elliot Berman, our Creative Director. We are excited to welcome you to the This Week in AML podcast, where we explore key news and developments in the global financial crime prevention community. Hi, this is Elliot Berman. Welcome to an archive edition of This Week in AML. We hope you've had a happy Thanksgiving. John and I are taking the holiday weekend off, but we wanted to bring you an archive edition of the podcast. And we chose the broadcast we did on FinCEN's advisory on elder financial exploitation from June of this year. We think it's important to keep this story top of mind with the holiday season upon us and the risk of fraud increasing at this time of the year. So we thought it was worth having you listen to it again. We hope you enjoy this archive edition of This Week in AML and have a great rest of your holiday weekend. And we'll be back live next week. Hi, John. How are you today? Hi, Elliot. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, uh, earlier this week, I was in San Francisco with my son celebrating his birthday and uh, going to game five of the NBA finals, which was um, uh, lots and lots of fun. Nice. Uh, nice. Yeah. Um, but uh, while I was away, I was um, keeping an eye on what was going on in the uh, in the regulatory world. And I saw that FinCEN issued an advisory on elder financial exploitation. Um, did you see that? I did see that. And, and it's sort of um, this is a great example of uh, what we, the AML community, are going to have to consider in terms of the priorities, you know, that were passed under AMLA that were issued back in June of 2021, a year ago. And obviously we're awaiting final regulations. And I've actually been on uh, some, some conference calls and some preps for some conferences about how to address this. And obviously you have to wait for the regs, but this is a great example of what might be expected uh, by the regulators in that fraud is one of the major priorities. And this is certainly a major part of fraud is attack against the elderly. So even though there's all sorts of frauds under that umbrella, if you will, I would imagine that looking at this advisory, uh, the takeaways being some of the red flags, new, new typologies and some of the other advice in here, being aware of this in your institution makes a lot of sense. So uh, long winded way of saying, yeah, I not only saw it, but I think it's certainly consistent <clears throat> to show that FinCEN, I, they, they, they have had a plan, but I think this is part of their plan is to roll out advisories under some of the uh, some of these priorities, even though it doesn't specifically say that in this. Yes. Uh, and this is a topic that FinCEN has talked about in the past. There was an earlier <clears throat> um, elder financial exploitation, EFE, as they call it, advisory uh, about 11 years ago, if I recall correctly. Um, some of the numbers of the in terms of the magnitude of the problem are pretty stunning. Um, they cite that um, millions of older adults losing lost more than three billion that's with a B dollars to financial fraud annually as of 2019, and which is the most recent available statistics. But I'm I'm sure that number has not gone down. Um, Right. And then the other stats uh, in the same advisory, they said the Federal Trade Commission, which is relevant here because there's other agencies besides FinCEN that care about this. They said that uh, older adults now account for 35 percent of the victims associated with filed fraud reports 
when the consumer, when they actually listed an age. So that makes sense. Just given, as we both know, how the, uh, <laughs> how the community is aging. So I think that that's, uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and the SAR increase over, over time has been pretty phenomenal. So I, I put that towards FinCEN doing those, as you say, previous advisories. So making people aware of it. And as you become more aware that obviously you're looking for these things and can be more specific in your filings. That's another reason why, but also this COVID has really brought out the worst in a lot of people. Unfortunately, there's a lot of good people out there, but a lot of criminals uh, I've been thriving through COVID and just ratcheted up the ability to go after victims. Yes. Uh, So um, to help uh, look at trends and topologies, the way this uh, advisory is constructed, uh, FinCEN splits things between elder theft and elder scams. Um, uh, so uh, uh, maybe, a, you know, just a way to make it happen. But obviously, uh, one of the key things that the scammers are trying to do is access uh, personal identifiable information um, because um, that has its own value to sell it or to you um, uh, on the second black market or use it uh, to perpetrate a theft. Um, there are a number of case studies that are laid out uh, in the um, in this advisory and a long list. And I and I'm, it's unfortunate that there is such a long list of red flags. Um, uh, some of them are behavioral. There's about a dozen behavioral, and then there's a dozen. Uh, another dozen related to financial red flags, which I would definitely um, uh, recommend to our listeners. Uh, and and it's the kinds of things, these aren't new. Um, right. You know, one of them is dormant accounts with large balances begin to show constant uh, withdrawals. You know, it's the, it's, gee, why is, you know, what happened to, to Mr. Smith or Mrs. Jones? We haven't seen her or him for a while, and all of a sudden there's activity. Um, those have been things that we, we in the industry uh, have tried, the traditional uh, financial services industry have tried to pay attention to for a really long time. Um, but they're, um, you know, they're becoming, the scammers are becoming more sophisticated. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, you and I among them, there's more people who, I don't feel elderly, but certainly the older part of the population is growing as the baby boomers um, age through their working years and into retirement. You know, I, I was I moderated a panel earlier this year with several bankers um, on this topic, and I was not as familiar with the uh, myriad of adult uh, adult protective services agencies in states. It makes sense that they, they exist. I just didn't really put two and two together. And they talked a lot about how they work closely with that. If those agencies exist in the state, in addition to filing SARS and actually some of these banks have very robust programs to seek out um, some of these um, indicators and red flags to, to make sure that they, uh, what was happening was a legitimate transaction. And it just led me to something that I actually raised at the time. um, And that is I am, familiar with a relative who is elderly and the the issue and it it sort of struck me after hearing about and and running that panel and talking about what we're talking about today this particular uh elderly uh relative had uh inability to to write to write her name because of arthritis 
pretty lack of mobility. So one of her daughters obviously was uh, on the account with her. So the daughter would come in with her and, you know, you have to help the mother, um, you know, sign checks or sign papers, whatever it is. And you look at that separately, the way I just described it, yeah, it certainly, you know, makes sense. But then you look at some of these other cases and the typologies listed there on housekeepers that come in and take advantage of people that live alone and all that. So it's a hard job for the financial sector to, to figure all this out. So this, this advisory, I think, gives you a lot to look at. And none of them in and of themselves should mean that fraud has occurred, but it just makes you just more aware and more diligent. But there are things you have to weigh. And, and I think that's a pretty interesting area. And the FinCEN's done a great job here by putting this out. Agreed. Uh, I know that um, uh, many states have um, uh, reporting obligations in their state banking laws or in other parts of their state statutes uh, for financial services providers and others to report um, uh, perceived uh, abuse or um, uh, theft from uh, the elderly to um, law enforcement or some kind of social service or both uh, structure. So that's something to pay attention to. And another thing is you look at the financial red flags. Um, some of this is the kind of thing that where automated uh, uh, systems can help catch. But some of these things still happen in the bank lobby and um, well-trained uh, branch staff are still uh, an important part of the detection and uh, protection process. So, uh, and, and banks do this. Uh, this isn't like, oh my goodness, we never thought of that. Clearly they understand that. But I think it's just a reminder that uh, a combination of people and technology uh, always is the best set of defense for, uh, uh, to try to make sure that legitimate transactions are what's flowing through the institution. Yeah, you know, one more thing uh, just struck me as we were talking. Um, when I ran ACAMS, uh, we gave an award to a banker who sadly has passed on. Uh, her name was Karen, Karen Cornell. And Karen was with Laconia uh, Savings Bank in New Hampshire. And she worked on her own time to get the New Hampshire legislature to pass an elder abuse statute. She had, and this was you know, seven, eight, nine years ago, whatever it was. Uh, but we recognized, or she recognized back then, the importance of, of doing that. And to your point, many states do have those obligations now. At the time, there weren't that many. So she took, I believe it was a law that was either in Massachusetts or another neighboring state and said, we need to do this in our state. And that was because that bank, that savings bank, was working really hard to try to figure out um, how to protect the elderly uh, way back then. So I just wanted to mention that you know, a lot of times um, our, our, our community gets criticized and sometimes rightly for enforcement actions and that kind of thing. But super proactive people exist in the AML community. And that's just that's just another strong example of that. Yes. So, John, um, shameless plug time. We have a <clears throat> webinar coming up a week from today, a week from today when we're recording on Thursday. So this is June 23rd. 1 p.m. Eastern time is the live stream, <clears throat> and it is about um, um, uh, customer risk rating models 
Uh, we've got a great panel um, being moderated by uh, Chuck Taylor, our colleague here at AML RightSource. Uh, and uh, we think it's uh, going to be a really valuable how-to. We've got some um, uh, bankers who are going to contribute and give us insights into not only the how, but uh, also uh, the why. And so we'd encourage that. You can, uh, you can sign up on our website. Um, John, what else do you have in the, in the hopper? I uh, interviewed Tom Vartanian uh, last week, uh, this week, actually. Um, we'll post it next week or the week after. He's the executive director of the Financial Technology and Cybersecurity Center, and he's a clear uh, banking expert. He's been doing banking law for over 40 years, and Tom is a very uh, compelling presenter, but also uh, you know, very sharp about regulatory gaps and issues in the cyberspace. So I think you'll find that particularly both uh, compelling and useful. That, that'll, that'll be out in next week or two. So that's coming up. And I'm planning next week to uh, uh, interview some folks that are uh, connected with the Wolfsburg Group. So that'll, that's, uh, that's on my list of issues coming up. Okay. Well, thanks, John. You have a uh, great weekend and uh, stay safe. Uh, I know you're going to do a little travel, so be careful with that. And we'll uh, be back with everybody next week. Take care, Elliot. Stay safe as well. You too. Bye-bye.